This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mixtape Memories. Memories. I'm Matt Hartspade. And I'm Jenners. And we have a very special guest tonight, singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, all-around cool guy, Ted Leo. Thanks for joining us, Ted. (laughs) My pleasure. Glad to be here. (laughs) How have you been the last year plus in the middle of all this mess? It's a loaded question, isn't it? (laughs) How does one answer that a year in? Uh, I've been up and down. Yeah. Know, I'm assuming like everyone. Right? Yeah. Have you found it to be kind of productive in terms of what you're thinking of potentially releasing later on or? No. No. It was a productive year in some ways for me, not uh, musically. Mm-hmm. Certainly like a lot of other people, I lost all of the touring yeah. that I was planning on doing. I had three tours booked that were all canceled i canceled them i I got on it pretty quickly actually actually had some arguments with people early on (laughs) you really think it's gonna be that bad and i was like yes yes yeah Yeah. i'm not being the you know catalyst for people getting in a room and dying because of this but i had a lot of other you know i had a lot of other stuff i had to do this year and i i've frankly i'm a little bit at sea in a bad way and sometimes being at sea is nice but um, (laughs) i'm at sea in a bad way in terms of what i'm doing musically as a musician i do feel like i have a a a backlog of ideas that's ready to um, come out but i don't know what i'm going to do about it or with it but i have a lot of other life stuff happening that's Mm -hmm. you know kind of gotten in the way Mm -hmm. Most of that had very little to do with the pandemic, you know, it was kind of like, I don't know, I guess if I had to be stuck in a, in a non, um, you know, super non-productive output place for a year, this was probably the, an okay year to have that, as okay a year to have that happen as any, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are you itching to go back on tour or at this point are you kind of getting comfortable at home? I'm itching to make music. I'm itching to uh, write and record new music. I got to be honest with you. I'm pretty gun shy about playing shows still. Like I see people are already jumping into, you know, shows and, you know, it's it's safe and there's distancing and, you know, like it's all worked out and I'm a little bit like, you know, I, you know, we never hit a point as a culture where we actually stopped, you know, it was from the very beginning, it was just like, how can we, how can we fudge this? You know, we never really went into lockdown. Like we never really came together as a society and decided that we could work toward each other's mutual benefit. And I feel like, you know, we're still at a point where, I don't know, mentally, uh, vibe-wise, you know, (laughs) you could be setting an example and saying, let's not push forward with this as fast as 
everybody seems to want to do it. I mean, I'm a muse. I make my living making and and at this point in time, as you know, like playing music more because nobody buys it, you know. So like, and I'm like, you know, lack of live shows. It's not the most important thing in the world. I'm sorry, but it's mm-hmm. not. You mm-hmm. know? Um, it, it'll come back when it's safe to come back, and we'll make it happen. You know, but I'm a little, I'm a little wary of um, of getting back on stage, and I don't know how that's going to feel. I mean, just pr- like even if everything was, if if the uh, magic wand was waved and everything got really safe tomorrow, I'm not sure. <laughs> like, I think it would feel weird to get out on stage but that's me you know that's me obviously it's not the case for everybody and i guess that's fine i'm I'm imposing my own thing on others i feel like you're right though i think it's gonna take a while to like get used to it like i feel Mm. like i went to an outdoor show last weekend and um i thought yeah there'll probably be like 10 people there (laughs) and like it was like on the sidewalk of a brewery Uh (laughs) and uh um slowly as the day progressed like more and more people showed up and i was like yeah i think i'm gonna bounce <laughs> like, right yeah. i don't know how to act like in this yeah. setting and um i think it's gonna take people a while to like figure out what they're comfortable with and i, I felt like a lot of other people said the same thing when um who were there they were like yeah i came by to like check it out but there are all these people there <laughs> so i just gotta <laughs> checked it out and then left yeah. you know? <laughs> so, I think you're right. I mean, that's the nature of it right like all these people there you know and i mean i i'm not uh, you're both live m- music fans you've been going to shows for years you know like it's it's when it's great it's the greatest thing in the world Mm -hmm. yeah um so i mean i have to figure out how to get back to it i'm just you know long way around in answer to your question i'm not there yet yeah yeah i think we're all kind of figuring it out you know yeah i mean i saw you were like uh you have like a live stream you're participating in some live stream benefit thing Mm -hmm how have you been about stuff like that like as a musician is it a long well i didn't do i didn't do a ton of that at first um for a a whole host of reasons i put a lot of work into doing this uh month-long series of shows from a theater in providence oh yeah i saw that back in october Mm -hmm. october november oh thanks good and yeah and that that was something that i was working toward like not you know um trying to do something different than basically what we're doing right now you know me at my computer playing songs not that there's not that there's anything wrong with that and th- and there's not anything wrong with that it's great and it's super super intimate and awesome i did have a lot of other work to do with on other things not playing music you know o- over the year and i thought to myself there's a there's only so much air in this room <laughs> you know and like I felt like there wasn't a lot of air in it for me and I didn't really feel comfortable jumping in and being like, Hey everybody. You know, you're that said, I, you know, I, I got asked to, um, since the fall, I have been asked to do a number of benefits and stupid me, like, <laughs> you know, I'll, that's what'll get, that's what it'll take to get me out of my, <laughs> out of my cocoon, you know? And so I did put some effort into, 
actually getting a pretty decent pretty decent sound and video system together here i have other lights than what you're seeing on me, <laughs> on me right now you know in case i do want to actually do uh, some shows over the summer yeah. or something and I, and I may i may do that yeah it's interesting because I, I i noticed like polestar they like instead of like having like the highest grossing like tours or shows whatever they're like listing live stream oh <laughs> interesting data right and so i was like wow they really shifted because it's like what are you what kind of data are you gonna really put out yeah. there when no one's really doing live shows that's really interesting i wonder when they started doing that i mean i guess if you did it through a, a, an established like platform the data is just there and you can go back and look and everything yeah exactly i feel like people are reporting their live mm -hmm. streams i guess you know like they would a box office report right all right yeah so it's pretty interesting Ted, I, changing directions, I was hoping we can go all the way back and kind of revisit what you were listening to as a kid and as a teenager and kind of what your early influences were and, yeah, your actual mixtape memories, yeah. if you will. Please. What do you remember kind of being drawn to first as a kid? Was it something that you maybe heard in the house? I would say it would have to be, right, or on the radio. You know, my, my parents were relatively young when they had me um and they had decent records mm -hmm. and, um and uh eight tracks yeah i mean early on it was the stuff that a lot of people my age the first things that they heard it was the beatles bob dylan buddy holly and the who uh and a lot of motown um and other you know 60s and se early 70s r&b and stuff and that that's uh that's what I first grew up on, for sure. Yeah, love that. That's all quality. Yeah. <laughs> and when did you start discovering things on your own, and what were you drawn to then? I I think pretty early. I have. I mean, I listened to the radio a lot, and I paid attention. And I have pretty vivid memories, uh, you know, of hearing things that really sparked me very early on like i remember when ramones uh end of the century came out and i remember hearing rock and roll radio on the radio and feeling like this is like a little different it's kind of the same as you know as buddy holly and the, mm -hmm. and the beatles and everything in some ways but it's like it's a little different and kind of cool um and uh and i remember um I actually really remember being attuned. I mean, we're talking like I was under 10, you know, I was in my my late single digits. Um, but I remember <laughs> being, uh, you know, actually paying attention to like the, the first punk explosion. I remember the name, the Sex Pistols. I remember hearing like a radio report about when the Sex Pistols broke up, you know, <laughs> and like. Wow. Being like, Sex Pistols, you know, <laughs> what? how are they allowed to call themselves that? You know? <laughs> um, and I remember, uh, you know, then a couple of years later, like in the sort of, you know, second wave or the, you know, early, late 70s, early 80s, when uh, when music videos started popping up and you would actually see a town called Malice by the Jam or, you know, a Clash, early Clash, you know, Tommy Gunn by the Clash. I, I remember yeah. seeing that stuff and putting two and two together and I could connect it all back to my early who fandom and, you know, like mm -hmm. see the, see the continuum. Um, and then from, I, I actually really got, I got into, um, hip hop 
in the early early 80s um because i think that more than anything was a sound that like legitimately blew my mind at, mm-hmm. at the time i mean I, I grew up right outside in new jersey like right outside of new york city my family i had family in brooklyn and staten island and stuff so it was you know we were new york New Jerseyans, mm-hmm. yeah. not Philly, New Jersey, or yeah. Yeah. Central <laughs> New Jerseyans. There's a difference. And, yeah. Definitely <laughs> and, um, a difference. <laughs> you know, I was I was running over there a lot, and I, I breakdanced and lugged, uh, you know, cardboard around and everything. Oh, to, well, that's, to do that's a fun that. thing. Yeah, yeah. I and didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think that... I think that sonically now where where hip hop went, you know, very quickly musically is like beautiful and transcendent and amazing, especially when people started, you know, digging into samples and, and things more and actually, you know, using more more melody in their backing tracks. But early hip hop that really was there was stuff, you know, there was there was stuff that was musical back then, but but there was also the whole branch of stuff that just leaned into to break beats. And that's it, you know, or like a synth beat. And that's it. Like that super spare, just drum and vocal Mm. thing was so arresting and exciting to me. And I really um, gravitated to that. And yeah, and that's when I really started making mixtapes, too, probably because I was old enough to buy tapes for myself, I guess, you know, (laughs) and and that was just taping stuff off the radio. You know, like I would tape stuff off yeah. the radio, and if you had a dual cassette deck, you could make your own like cheapo, um, actual like remixes. You know, um, there were a couple of songs where they, you know there would be like a beep out of a curse word, and you could like <laughs> beep 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 beep. You know, kind of create your own <laughs> your own thing, and I did a lot of I did a lot of that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's definitely more advanced than my mixtape. <laughs> And then at one, at what point did you start going to the city or to shows in Jersey, I guess? And what were you kind of, you know, what were your early gig experiences? Yeah. Well, on a more consistent basis, it, um, it was going to rap, some rap shows early on, mostly in New Jersey. In, um mm-hmm. every, you know, everybody who was playing in New York was also playing in like Elizabeth and Newark, New Jersey. Right. But. Early, early on, one of the first real shows I ever saw was Adam and the Ants at the Capitol Theater in Passaic, which my I, I, mean, I was 10, I think. I had to get my dad to take me. He was psyched because <laughs> he was only like 30. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, so it was like that was kind of the first like real oh they're like i found you know i i heard that they were playing i knew where passaic was i found out where the venue was and i was like can you you gotta take me to see this band (laughs) and then uh yeah and then within a few years i started you know going to some rap shows and then very right on the heels of that back into like the hardcore scene and and etc in the mid 80s in new york yeah and then when your first band, when did that start approximately? First band that like really like wrote our own songs. I mean, kind of late in terms of when, you know, from when I was listening to the music. Like I didn't mm-hmm. jump into being in a band right away. I mean, it probably mm-hmm. wasn't until 87 mm-hmm. that um, I actually started singing just singing with the band at that point this this band this hardcore band in new jersey called flinch 
and then very quickly thereafter um citizens arrest which became the first band that was in that actually put records mm-hmm. out and stuff so yeah, i remember when i got to college and i was already listening to your music i was a freshman and like these seniors at the radio station were like do you know chisel and i was like i don't know chisel <laughs> <laughs> and i kind of had to do some homework yeah, but i awesome. know that that was you know obviously a big moment in your career as well yeah. I mean, it's not really a chisel was not really a moment because chisel started really early. It, it sort of like ran concurrent with a lot of other things that were going on. I mean, we John, the drummer and I started playing together, maybe even calling ourselves chisel as early as like 89, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was still in uh, hardcore bands for, you know, a, a number of years ongoing at that point chisel was like our way to sing the songs that i wanted you know that i was writing more and wanted to sing um that were more melodic Uh, when we started out we were you know we were covering like early wire songs and early mission of burma songs and you know so it had that that dissonant punky thing to it but it was Mm -hmm. but it was you know also like melod. you know there were like vocal melodies and stuff it was kind of when i finally um left citizens arrest which this all sounds like a long time but this is all over the course of like you know a few years you know in the life of young bands that's how it that's how it goes but um then i really leaned into chisel and we started you know we were already like just kind of like referencing wire and and stuff like that and we we just decided to give vent to what we like really really wanted to do which was just to like be a mod band you know and we never went fully there musically but we did go fully there um sartorially (laughs) fair (laughs) well talking about melodic and melody kind of things like i feel like listening to your catalog it's you're you're like iconic your melodies like it's you're just it's like crazy the sounds that come out <laughs> like, I, wow thank you i appreciate that that's no it's true it's just like how can you hit all those notes it's like crazy um that's a good question i ask myself <laughs> that sometimes i've had trouble sometimes <laughs> i've written things that you know um uh i have had to well we well i mean even as as recently as like the hearts of oak album when we went and did a, a 15th anniversary, like play the whole album tour a couple of years ago, there was one song that I had to drop from <laughs> like the key of D to the key of C because I could not sing <laughs> D anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really impressive for me and and to have so much energy. I can really now like really learning about, you know, the music you grew up with and the music that you're getting into as a young adult like um it makes sense to me that you have so many different influences and um and especially even with your last album like i i feel like it really kind of showed like all parts of like everything that you can do in one album thanks i it i i i guess i kind of um i don't usually consciously try to do that but i think what i did um i think i maybe did kind of consciously try to do that with with that the hanged man a little bit or at at the very least 
I didn't tamp any ideas. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of just. Well, you know, when you were like talking about like your young, you know, Motown kind of, you know, vibes, I was like, um, thinking about the Jean Grey track. Oh yeah, can't go back. Yeah, can't go back, Mm -hmm. and it has like that kind of vibe to it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Again, like, like almost like I was saying about how like it just (laughs) at a certain point just felt good to stop dancing around like trying to i don't know fit your influences into some idea of what you should be and just kind of like play the songs you wanted to play with with chisel um i think i you know i think i took the seat belt off a little bit for hanged man and what that sometimes resulted in is something that is a little more yeah specifically like 60s r&b or yeah you know I don't know, 70s power pop or something like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, along the lines of um, of The Hangman, uh, I noticed that one of the uh, options, if you, because you had like a Kickstarter type thing, mm-hmm. right? Was it actually Kickstarter? It was, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, one of the, um, you know, donate X amount and get this prize was a, a handmade mixtape, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how was that? And how did you go about curating a hundred of them? Well, I mean, I only really had to curate one and then, you know, dub them. Oh, it was... <laughs> okay, okay. It wasn't a hundred different mixed... Yeah, it wasn't a hundred different mixed... Yeah, right? it wasn't a hundred oh, okay. I was like, whoa, that's days. a project. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Good God. Oh, my God. I mean, I had enough... It was hard enough to just, you know, like, do the one and make a hundred of them, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's a cool giveaway. I feel like... Um, I had fun doing that. I'm glad you yeah. think so. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, you know, it was, it was demos. It was all... It was meant to be demos, kind of career spanning my career so it went mm-hmm. back to that's so cool thanks it, it went back to actually there's a flinch song on there you know oh, all the way up wow. through uh the couple of songs that i started demoing before i got before i really kind of like got into my home studio situation i mean you might find this interesting because of the theme of this podcast but i it, i realized when i was doing this and i, I made a point of this i wrote kind of extensive you know, liner notes on the the mixtapes, um, talking about where everything was recorded and who was, you know, on the recording with me and um, what the era was and what I was thinking and et cetera. And um, when it came to Songs for the Hanged Man, I realized that I really only had two demos because at a certain point I started working in Pro Tools uh, in, you know, the space and with the gear that, you know, I would eventually make the final album with. And once I started doing that, I rarely completely restarted a song. Like there are some elements on the on the final album that made it all the way through from kind of like first demo iteration. Like there was a guitar solo on uh, the song You're Like Me that I was just like, that's the guitar like that's it that's the guitar solo like <laughs> I've, I've re-recorded i've worked on i've rewritten you know like everything else but i was like but this guitar solo still works so why would i why would i change it so like and also for me that's an interest like that's just fun and an interesting artifact for me to be able to say like this carried there's an actual artifact from like first iteration of this song all the way through to the final you know like quote-unquote definitive iteration of the song but but what that meant is that i didn't really have any actual like demos you know to put on the tape so there were there were only like two songs that i had started working on and that i did demos of beforehand and they they wound up on the demo tape
We wanted to kind of discuss, we've both seen you many times through the years here in New York and elsewhere, mm-hmm. but mostly in New York. And we were just hoping to kind of revisit some of your kind of best New York show memories as a performer sure. as a, while you're on stage. For me, one of the highlights is seeing you at McCarran Park at those Jelly NYC shows oh, yeah. in like 07, maybe. Mm-hmm. I want to say that show might have been with Deerhoof, but I can't remember. It's kind of all... I remember it was, together. it was not Deerhoof. It was a band from North Carolina called Birds of Avalon and the Thermals. Yes, yes, yes. It was such a good bill. Yes, I guess if you could kind of mention some, like through the years, some of your like fondest New York show mm. memories. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to sort of think chronologically. And yeah, like, go for it. There was one Citizens Arrest show at a club that no longer exists called uh, Downtown Beirut that was fun and it kind of felt like I think a lot of the things that I'm going to point out to you have this common effect, which is th- or this common factor, which is that it felt like a real step into a scene a- and out of like basements. You know, mm-hmm. it was like one of the first times that I really felt like we were, you know, playing in this scene with all of these other New York hardcore bands that I'd been a fan of for so long you know so there's that and then i would probably move on to chisel years because you know i was in dc for most of that time but we played new york all the time and we played brownies a lot back then in the early (laughs) days of brownies and i think this is a thing that really it set up like a kind of paradigm of how i worked from then on which is you know we didn't play a venue bigger than brownies until we sold out brownies you know and then i did the same thing when i started playing solo and when i started playing with the pharmacists and it was like each of those kind of like next steps like it really felt like you could feel the building that you were doing you know there was nobody who was pushing us onto like big showcasey bills or you know there was none of that going on so every step of the way you could we could really feel what we were building and so i remember all of those you know both like the last time we were able to play a venue and the first time we were able to play the next one you know so it's like Mm -hmm. with the pharmacist for example i remember vividly when it was like i guess we can't play brownies anymore you know um (laughs) and i and you know that was a really uh, it was a friendly like in a friendly loving way you know not not in a like yeah screw you mike studio we're (laughs) out of here i remember the first time we did a two-night run at bowery Mm -hmm. um i remember the first time we sold out webster hall Mm um i remember all of those outdoor shows that wound up being like so massive and fun and you know um, all the (laughs) seaport shows that we did that either ended Mm -hmm. in disaster or were just like a sea of people that i would have never expected to have shown up Mm -hmm. you know it always those things always really felt like something you know felt Mm -hmm. like something exciting and tangible and that uh, you know meant probably more than anything else in the world of myself and the pharmacist at least because what else do we do you know (laughs) like we're not we're not making we're not selling gold (laughs) records and we're not uh you know really um we're not like headlining festivals or anything you know so like there's an element to everything that we did that don't get me wrong like despite our best efforts like still remain 
like it grew in a really nice way but still kind of remained like outside of the hype beast you know like Mm -hmm. even even pitchfork like stopped being nice to us at a certain point you know (laughs) and like and it was just like that was almost fine because we were still playing they almost meant more because we were still playing these shows where like in new york especially where all of these people would come and we would do those free one free show outside every summer and it was always just such a great great event and then i mean uh, you can stop me if i'm going on too long but of course there were the uh, the at a certain point that did become kind of a joke too because they were often like either massively rained out or this the most memorable was that we actually were i think the only electrified act the night of the blackout um because we were supposed to play the seaport that night oh my god and in the middle of our sound check is when the blackout happened wow that's and um, so we were th- we were there. We were already on stage. We were set up like everything was going. We had already sound checked like three songs, you know, and when the power went out, you know, everybody's waiting around because at first nobody knew what was happening. And everybody's it, actually at first everybody was freaked out because it was only 2003 or whatever. So it was like, oh, 2004. What, two, what year was that? I don't know. And it was back then. And. It was close enough to 2001 is my point that, like, you know, everybody was like... I think it was 2003. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I remember where I was living. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we everybody was a little afraid that there was something else had happened. You know, there had been some other weird attack. Yeah. There was so much confusion. Yeah. And then, like, eventually, like, word started filtering down that it was a blackout and everybody's waiting around for the power to come back on. The power's not coming back on. Hours go by. That was such a strange night. Yeah. Strange day. Yeah. And then there was a mobile Starbucks truck at the other end of the pier, like at the street side the end of the pier. And after a while, the the guy who was running the truck came up and he was like, hey, like I requested this gig today because I'm a fan and I figured I'd work and, you know, watch this show. And he was like, and you know, I like I have all these generators on the truck. <laughs> to power like the frappuccino machines and stuff you know (laughs) and we were like whoa and he was like i mean you want to just try and uh, like hook up to the truck so with the seaport people we like broke down the pa like made a smaller version because we couldn't run the whole big rig you know made a smaller version of the pa and we actually played a set and it was kind of amazing it was like people just started pouring out people were stuck on the fdr uh-huh. It was a stop dead. People just got out of their cars and watched, and people started pouring out of the office buildings in the financial district because it was the wow. only sound so down there. Yeah, know? yeah, and only like, sound. And yeah. all these people came, all these like people who actually weren't really fans, you know, but came out and watched the show, and it was another just weird, amazing thing down there that happened. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that is wild. <laughs> yeah. That's a New York moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I bet the Starbucks guy was freaking out. You know, I I <laughs> am so mad at myself to this day. I mean, there was so much confusion. There was so much I had to do. I also, like, had to deal with all our gear, like, getting it, you know, safe somewhere. And, you know, I never got the guy's name. To this day, I never got his name. And it really... I. You Starbucks know. guy, you got to. I know. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, I thought maybe he would have just reached out to me at some point, you know. But mm-hmm. it's been like, you know, almost twenty years now. <laughs> <laughs> he figured nothing's ever going to top this. I guess. Yeah, that was the ultimate for yeah. him. <laughs> no, I love that you brought up brownies too, because that's where I first saw you, uh-huh. and back in the early aughts, and it was. 
I feel like it was like one of my earliest like um, post graduating college going out to shows kind of memories um, and uh, so yeah that has a special place in my it heart. was good that was a really good yeah, brownies really good right. place yeah and I you know I liked hi-fi as well yeah. when mm-hmm. they when you changed sure, it to it you know non live live music thing but brownies was a really um, pretty great place for a, a while was great and then of course i have to bring up um celebrate brooklyn uh the recent uh 2019 i think it was where mm-hmm. liz fair oh, liz fair. oh yeah <laughs> asked you to join her on stage <laughs> to sing fucking run yeah. and i was i literally squealed i think <laughs> I was like, and i was like hitting matt in the shoulder like, i was like this is like teenage me and aughts me yes. <laughs> like, it happened once before is that yeah. correct yeah that's not the first yeah that's not the first time it happened but uh yeah i think the first time we did it was at the matador 21 yeah festival thing in, Makes in sense, uh, las vegas but yeah liz is a is an old friend weird like coincidence i mean we didn't we did it's not like this is not what i'm about to tell you is not what kicked off our our friendship it was years years and years down the road later but um totally randomly chisel was actually recording some songs in chicago at the studio that she did um exile in or with brad wood and those um chicago crew and like she came by one day to like pick up some stuff while we were in there and 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 they were like they were like wait till you hear her record (laughs) wait till you hear the record we've been working on with her i was like really oh cool all right you know (laughs) wow wow 30 years ago or something like that crazy yeah. yeah pretty crazy i wanted to kind of briefly touch upon I guess that moment, for me anyway, but I want to know what your thoughts were in the early aughts, particularly around Hearts of Oak. I feel like your profile was raised quite significantly. How did it feel to kind of become, you know, I don't know how else to phrase it, a little bit of like the indie darling? You know what I mean? Mm. Well, I mean, I never really felt that way. I I mean, as I said, even Pitchfork abandoned us at some point. <laughs> but well, Pitchfork uh, <laughs> likes to play that game where they love you yeah, one minute and hate you the next. That's true, that's yeah. true. You know, the thing that you have to understand about everything that came after Chisel is that, for me, it, it, was, it was strange because, again, in the, you know, in the life of a young person and a young band like... Uh, 10 15 years seems like an eternity and by the by the late 90s when i um quit chisel i was really fed up with like the whole thing i was fed up with being in a band i was fed up with the world of like the music biz and etc that's kind of why i started playing alone and why i didn't really like just use my name like i like you know possibly stupidly like obscured it with different spellings and nicknames i've seen that that stuff you know um, because I just I, I wanted to keep playing music, but I, I really didn't want to be like stepping out as like a singer songwriter. I mean, you know, whatever. Like, I understand I that, why yeah. I thought that way. And I I respect myself for <laughs> my younger self for feeling that <laughs> way. But it would would have saved me a lot of headache later on if I would just, you know, <laughs> embraced it. But yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, but the but the point of that is that there was no game plan and there really never was. It was like, I, I just was making music and eventually like I, I made a, that 
the first the record that came out on Lookout first, "The Tyranny of Distance." But I was making that record before I signed to Lookout. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I was already making that record, and I knew that that record was going to be more of a band record. I knew that if I went on tour again, I was going to gather some people around me. You know, that became the pharmacist. Like there was no real like moment when I sat down and like made a decision. It's just like the record that I was making was a band record. By that point, I had been touring alone, alone quite a bit and i thought i wanted to have you know a band behind me more and then like i said it just was the it was just um this series of baby steps where we'd play brownies three times you know over the course of nine months or something and then the fourth time it was like oh well i guess you know we got to try something else now Mm -hmm, and uh and the tyranny of distance certainly got a lot more interest than I expected when I was making it. I mean, not, not to say that I didn't think it was a great record just to say that like, I didn't, again, like I just, I didn't go into it with a game plan for like doing anything in particular. Now that said, I mean, when I signed with lookout, they were the first label that I'd ever worked with that actually had label services like, you know, promotion and, Mm-hmm. more than like buying a, a, an ad or two here or there and so they had a plan <laughs> you know <laughs> they had a game plan and they would present me with their plan and i would say yes to a lot of things and no to a lot of other things you know and um mm-hmm. yeah i mean as uh, I, I i i don't know why we struck the um a nerve during that time period i mean especially over the course of those three lookout records and to an extent the next one living with the living that was on touch and go mm-hmm. i love that one too yeah we we hit some kind of cultural inflection point there i mean there weren't a lot of people who there weren't a lot of people in the like quote-unquote indie world who were doing political stuff and you know i yeah. never in my mind i never left the quote-unquote punk world so Mm -hmm. that wasn't even something that like felt you know uh like a that also wasn't something like felt like some big decision to me you know it's just that's what i do so (laughs) that's what i did yeah it's just part of you you (laughs) and um but i guess people needed i guess people needed to hear that then you know i guess people needed to hear more of that and i guess we gave it to them in a way that i hope you know like you were saying jen earlier had some melodies that were hooks you know i mean i guess that's Mm -hmm. all there really is to it right i mean there's also just like tons of energy in the songs and it just it just kind of has like this i don't know you know flurry of energy around it that i feel like it can amp up people you know in a setting and i'm glad to hear that i mean that's that's also something that i don't think too much about it it's kind of just who i am and i probably shouldn't think too much about it. <laughs> yeah, <don't, laughs> i don't should think probably about just it. let it be <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's it's a it's part of the magic of mm. i feel like a I'm, I'm, show i appreciate it i'm glad to hear it yeah thanks and i mean i'm glad uh, to hear there's magic you know like there's definitely magic. that's what you want that's <laughs> like i mean as a performer like you certainly you certainly want to want to achieve that as as someone who is a fan of music and has experienced that magic as a fan of music yeah that's the ideal as a purveyor of music you know well it never just feels like empty 
Yeah, I feel like there's always so much meaning infused. Like there's a story. There's it just feels like more intelligent than like a lot of, you know, whatever catchy, you know, indie rock tracks that people just throw together. And 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 then that paired with all the melodies and stuff, I feel like it's very unique. Can I get a can I get a transcript of that segment so I can frame, <laughs> frame it and put it on, oh, my, that's your press put it on my wall? <laughs> put it on my studio wall. No problem. <laughs> I'll send you the MP3. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, obviously I feel like Me and Mia was a big hit as well. But for me, I have memories of like DJing the high party a mm. lot in the hot. So oh, cool. I did the same. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. I yeah, I'm, like, thanks. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm proud of that song. That's uh, that yeah, song is that. a real me- like melding of a lot of influences for me in a yeah. way that I think doesn't feel like it's a purposeful hodgepodge of stuff. You know, I think that that really just feels like, oh, hi, it's me. You're listening to me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love the twists and turns in that song. I just think mm-hmm. it's thanks. just so good. And then it's cool that you did like a more like broken down version of it like later on. Yeah, well, when I when I do play solo, I mean, unless I'm bringing backing tracks with me, which I sometimes well, I used to do a lot and, you know, sometimes I still do. But um, yeah, you know, you you do have to break it down. And I that's something that I actually kind of enjoy doing, too. It's one of the reasons that I still like to tour solo, solo so much is actually like you know putting together a set that you know where i've had to take these more fleshed out songs and break them back down to their like root Mm -hmm. components and figure out how to make them work with just me and a guitar i mean that's the mark of like a great song is like if you can just be there with like your voice and like maybe a guitar or whatever <laughs> is that solo instrument that you're playing mm. like like that means that's a good song if it could stand on like the bare bones thanks mm-hmm. i hope so yeah i agree i mean i agree with i agree about other songs with that <laughs> <laughs> probably we should hop into repeats gift okay i love both of these selections by the way i I have to be honest i was a little afraid that you were going to pick something super cool and obscure in the punk universe and i was going to have no clue what it was i thought about a lot i mean i thought about a lot of that i I had to like i actually had to stop thinking about it at a certain point because it just like Mm -hmm. there were just too many options but you know being as we i mean i I might have gotten this wrong, but I th- I thought you did want specifically some '90s stuff. Was that yeah, okay? So, yeah. So I, keeping it in the '90s was helpful, and then like, the, I mean, when we get into it, I'll explain why I chose these two things. But yeah, yes. I I I I, f- I think that I was overthinking it a lot, and then I <laughs> the way that these two choices were particularly relevant to me, I thought might be interesting. So. Well, let's hop into the first one. It's uh, Ride, Smile, which came out in 90. This is so good. What are your memories of this release, and um, why did you pick it? So I was I was DJing in college uh, before I left, sort of got kicked out of college um, in 19... <laughs> uh, I guess that was... Ni- I guess that was 91. 
yeah, I think I was still there in 90. I don't really remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, when this came out, I was definitely still de- DJing. That, that's how I heard it. You know, like we said before, I, I mean, I, we all go through phases where we kind of only listen to one thing mostly. But it's, I think it's rare that, you know, we totally shut everything else out, you know, and um, – the whole time that I was, you know, deeply, mostly involved in hardcore in the late '80s, I was—I never stopped listening to all the other stuff that I, that I love. And when, when Smile in particular came around, because I was mostly playing in hardcore bands, living in the hardcore scene, not in college, you know, for a lot of it, like I didn't have a ton of exposure to a lot of um, '80s like British indie that wasn't making it to bigger alternative radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I would hear names of, of anything like, you know, past, I don't know, 85, 86. I actually kind of lost a, a, a bit of stuff in there because earlier bands that were like vaguely associated with like post-punk and, and whatnot, like, you know, I still heard and got into. But a lot of the creation stuff, it took me until like the late 80s or, you know, early 90s to to get into. And uh, Ride was one of those bands. When, when Smile came out, it, I wouldn't have heard it, I think, if I hadn't have been working college radio at the time. Like A Daydream in particular w- was just this, it's just this like freight train of a, of a song that when I remember going back to New York at one point and I was driving around with a couple of the guys from Citizens Arrest and I had this on a mixtape and the bass player was like whoa this is like a like if the birds were a hardcore band you know (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly exactly what it's like that's what I've been trying to tell you you know I've been trying to tell you about all these bands you won't listen to me now you understand you know um yeah this is a good tape to listen to yeah yeah but then the thing that I, the reason that I, that I, that I thought about, um, like a daydream in particular, is because of the just highly noodly guitar soloing that goes on throughout mm-hmm. the whole song, and especially yeah. at the end. And this is when I had just started playing with John Dugan, the drummer from Chisel, and I remember he and I hearing this. I don't know if it was the first time we heard it, but it was certainly like early on when we were listening to it, and we d- we like looked at each other and we were just like who the hell plays guitar like that what is going on with this like how does he do it you know and and honestly i'm gonna tell you right now like fiddling around trying to just figure out those like simple little like almost like folky like richard thompson-esque like guitar Mm -hmm. figures was a big guitar influence on me and that's why i chose Mm -hmm. that's why i chose this song because it 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 really uh it really got like literally got my fingers moving around you know figuring out like melodically like how did how to do things like that how to do like almost vocal melodies in a guitar solo you know there's a lot about that particular kind of noodling that goes on that's very it's like vocal harmonies and melodies and so that was a really important song for me and that's uh that's why i chose that for the repeat yeah, I um, I was gonna say I could see why you chose that song and how it could have been an influence. <laughs> um, I also chose that song as my yeah. repeat. <laughs> I mean, for me, the harmonies are just like so perfect, and like there's just something 
really catchy about it for me and it's just soft and dreamy and gazy or whatever even if they didn't like the term shoegaze um (laughs) as a band (laughs) yeah so i was really happy when you chose this because i actually have this yeah oh you have a cassette nice oh yeah i was like oh my god he chose this that's awesome and um so i was really really excited Actually, I think I got this in D.C. in mm. some record store that had, like, a bunch of cassettes or whatever. And I was like, ooh, I want to buy that. Um, but, yeah, no. Just kind of a perfect album that wasn't even really, like, an album, right? It was, like, yeah, two like EPs. Two singles, yeah, it was like two EP compilations. Yeah, yeah, kind of put together. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this album, I just I feel like it just flows so beautifully. Yeah. One track to the next. And I also feel like this is the kind of album that, for me anyway, regardless of what mood I'm in, it, it just fits. It doesn't mm. really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's kind of a rare thing. For me, they all are pretty great. I mean, I think if I were to choose, I maybe would go with Chelsea Girl, mm-hmm. which is the one maybe I was most initially drawn to when I first heard this album. I really wouldn't skip anything. I think it's just like a great, cohesive collection even though it was kind of a, a, a mishmash of, of EPs, yeah. I think it just works really well. You w- if I were to not know that, I, would, I wouldn't know. Yeah. Can I tell you why I chose Drive Blind as my skip? Yeah. Yes, please. So, I mean, I agree that it's kind of a perfect record, and I would, under normal circumstances, I wouldn't skip anything, except for the fact that I saw them at the Metro in Chicago. I, I can't remember if Nowhere had come out yet, or not it might have been right after nowhere came out but i i think it was before that anyway well nowhere came out in october of that 1990 oh really and this came out in july maybe it was well anyway the point is they played drive blind live and i don't know how it was the only time i've ever seen them like in that era so i don't know if this is a thing you know that they still do or whatever but you know there's that little noise breakdown in the middle it just kind of devolves into yes. like um, when they did that live, they stretched that out into uh-huh. this. Like, I mean, it had to have been, it had to have been six or seven minutes of just like, li- like live noise jam. It's like, so fucking up my alley you know? it was like <laughs> it was like one of those things where like first they devolve into and you're like oh cool and then it keeps going and you're like they're still going and then it keeps going and you're like they're still going you know <laughs> and, um, and uh it was so transcendent that i have not been able to listen to the recorded version since then and mm-hmm. not be bummed that i'm not back at that right, show watching the live version of it so there's that you know that makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like uh, sometimes, yeah, live experiences can affect our perception of it. But it's funny because Matt, Chelsea Girl, and Drive Blind were like on those like the demos that they you know when they were starting out. Those were the two songs on the demos yeah. that got like um, quality demos. Was it Jesus and Mary Chain? <laughs> yeah, right. <clears throat> kind of heard it, and you know kind of went on from there yeah. for t- towards creation records and stuff so and it's so cool to hear like your stories about it oh good yeah i wish i saw them back in the day then that would have been amazing pretty great. Oh my pretty gosh. Great. yeah this next band i've seen many 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 times probably about 20 wow. times so i feel like 
I'm really glad you picked this because this is probably within my top five favorite albums ever. It's Spiritualized Ladies and Gentlemen Were Floating in Space from 1997. I think it was their third record, but pretty much the landmark one that really put them on the map. I can go on, but first I'm going to have Ted speak on the record. Yeah. I'd been a fan of Spaceman 3 that carried over into Spiritualized, Mm -hmm. you know, and Sonic Boom's stuff and everything. But Spiritualized, I think, what was the album before, Ladies and Gentlemen? Uh, So Pure Phase was just before, and the first one was Laser Guided Oh yeah, Oh, yeah, of course. God. I really feel like what they did connected with me on a, on a deep level. When it came around to Ladies and Gentlemen, We're Floating in Space, I, you know, I love the whole album. This is another one where, you know, I, I really only chose the, the uh, uh, electricity to skip just because it was the single. It's a, you know, it's kind of the most basic song on the album, not to disparage it. That just says how sort of transcendent everything else is on the album. Yeah. You know? It's a little bit like the outlier. Yeah, a little bit. yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it's pretty straightforward, you know, rock, psychedelic, rock and roll-y, you know. There's so much beautiful noise and, and melody on this record. And um, Cool Waves is not necessarily my favorite song on the record. And it's not necessarily my favorite song of the type of song that it is on the record. But it has a really important place in my life because in... I guess this would have been late 97. In a lot of ways, in the in the late 80s and early 90s, and again in the late 90s, I was, like, not well. <laughs> um, I can laugh about it now. Um, I was, uh, you know, I certainly, you know, I don't want to turn this into a whole other kind of podcast, but, like, I certainly, at different periods of my life, have, have struggled with like a a real kind of uh, depression and when this album came out lord knows it spoke to me uh, on that level like in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but there's something very specific about cool waves that the simplicity of the kind of um non-attachment uh aspect of the of the lyrics really hit me i will tell you a story like i was on tour i was in a band called the sin eaters at this point and this is kind of immediately post chisel and i was on tour in europe we did um 49 shows in 50 days and on our day off in copenhagen with myself and a couple of people from another band that we were on tour with actually formed a a cover band and actually played (laughs) played on our night off too in a <laughs> for a bunch of people <laughs> in, a, in a rehearsal studio in Copenhagen during the day like we got there the night before and I I woke up and I didn't really know anybody in, in Copenhagen and I just like I was you know I just was not in a good space and I just decided to start walking and I had a little map you know it was before smartphones and I just walked all day and I walked everywhere in that city and i like i have a pretty good sense of the cardinal directions and i was able to (laughs) eventually find my way back to like the little apartment where we were staying but i i had that album with me on the tour and i remember walking around just singing that you know those those verses about the first ones like you know Baby, if you gotta sleep, let your head hang low. 
Don't let the world lay heavy on your soul. If you gotta sleep, you gotta sleep. And then, you know, <laughs> if you lose your love, don't take me by surprise. Don't think you're crying, but there's teardrops in your eyes. If you gotta leave, you gotta leave. Cool waves wash over me. Cool water running free. Lay your sweet hands on me, cause I love you, love you, love you. You know, and um, it like. Thank you for that, by the way. Yeah, that was a nice little Sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I could do it more seriously if you want, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of embarrassingly rushing through that. But, um, you know, it was better than like a, you know, a Pema Chodron book for me. <laughs> it was like, you know, it was really, it was like a mantra uh, as I just walked in the winter in Copenhagen. I had also um, left my parka in Belgium, so I only had a, a corduroy mm, denim jacket. <laughs> and I was, but it was like, it sunk it sunk in and it really like helped me let go of a lot of things. And I mean, this is like, this is the power of art, right? Like mm. something will hit you the right way on the right day and totally turn your head around. And that's what, that's what this particular song did for me on mm. that day. And it really, it's something that I go back to thinking about sometimes. Um, when I need to get myself out of a stuck, you know, loop on something that I'm in, it's uh, helpful. I mean, I think you're so right. Like your state of mind, your mood, what you're doing at the time you're listening to it. Like you're just like walking around, you know, in a you know foreign city, Copenhagen, can really affect how you kind of process the song mm -hmm. and how it affects you emotionally. You know, so. Yeah, I totally agree, because I feel like, you know, we've done a lot of these, like, repeat skips on various albums, and if I listen to it, there is one album where I listen to it, like, not in a particularly bad state, and I was like, okay, okay, and then another, and then three days later, something bad happened, and I listened to it again before the recording, and it just, like, every song hit me differently, yeah. <laughs> and it was just, I was like, I can't believe, like, all my opinions have changed. Oh, wow, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I totally agree with you. What's so great about Cool Waves, too, is just um, the choir is so stunning mm -hmm. on that song. And it really just kind of amplifies it, takes it to another place. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Spiritualized, like I said, many, many mm -hmm. times. And I would say about half those times included some version of um, a choir and or an oh, orchestra. Wow, yeah. um, I saw them perform this album in its entirety at Radio City about eight or ten years ago. They pretty much played it start to finish, uh, and then that was it. And um, that was amazing. I've seen them at the Apollo. I think, uh, you know, of, of all the spiritualized albums, uh, maybe it's kind of lazy to pick this one as my favorite, but um, it just is. Yeah. No, I, mean, I <laughs> and, agree. Um, yeah. it, it, it's fantastic. I mean, I love them all, but this is, this is the one that, you know, that I'm most drawn to. And it just takes you on this journey. Yeah. You know, uh, a, a song like Electricity obviously is kind of like amps you up and whatnot, but then like you get further into the album and a track like Broken Heart just oh, tears God, you I up, agree. you yeah. know? Yeah. And there's something so simple about that song, but so unbelievably moving. Mm -hmm. Like it's very hard to hear that song live and not just kind of want to yeah. break down. Can I tell you, I, I only saw Spiritualize once and it was, it was, I think it was just on Laser Guided Melodies. It was when I was in D.C. Um, it was fantastic. I mean, it was great. But when I lived in Brooklyn, there used to be this, um, like, installation kind of festival in Dumbo 
like the like the makers uh fest or something mm-hmm. like that somebody did a sound sculpture installation sound and light sculpture with the the song uh ladies and gentlemen we're floating in space just the all i want in life's a little bit of mm-hmm. and it was you know it's just all the parts uh sort of remixed with um a, 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 a specific to the space surround sound you know mm. mix um looped with um speci- you know shafts of light coming down and it was almost manipulative it was almost like fuck you manipulative in how <laughs> perfect it was you know mm-hmm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. i i will like i you know i was like i tend to be you know i don't know i mean i'm 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 a real like mushy bleeding heart in a lot of ways but i'm also pretty skeptical about a lot of things and and um i went into it like not really sure what to expect and a little wary but also i was like i'm gonna be mad if it affects me as deeply as i know it possibly could (laughs) um and it did but i wasn't mad it was beautiful it was really amazing yeah I have a quick funny story about the title track. So a good friend of mine who I'm still close with, I DJed her wedding about, oh God, 10 or 12 years ago. And we used to go to spiritualized shows back in the day and, you know, listen to this album. And she wanted, she she had the wedding at this um, historic library in DC, which I cannot remember the name of, but it was really beautiful. And there was this like huge spiral staircase. Anyway, she wanted to pretty much, instead of walking down the aisle, she wanted to walk down the staircase to ladies and gentlemen were floating in space, which I thought was insane, but it was, (laughs) it was amazing. And like everyone was just, you know, that song obviously builds and builds and builds. And, um, by the time like she got all the way down like this huge staircase like it was it was like the exact r- moment we couldn't have timed it better when like all right. the melodies are hitting at the same time and like everyone was crying wow. yeah wow. <laughs> it was it was I, like, I still kind of have goosebumps thinking about it it was just like very much like a moment and now that song i'll always kind of attach to yeah. that wedding that sounds yeah. great was yeah, it the it was version fun. with the elvis presley worked back into right. it in i think it was actually oh, okay. yeah mm-hmm. that's yeah. pretty good actually yeah yeah because it makes it a little bit more romantic right. having yeah a yeah in there <laughs> Well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, for me, Broken Heart was definitely my repeat. I always tend to go for, like, the sad songs. (laughs) But, you know, so vulnerable. So, like, and then the orchestral, symphonic kind of just, uh, it's just so compelling for me. I have never seen Spiritualized Live, but I don't know why. I just never got into them. Can't really explain it, even though, like, You can't keep up with everything, you know? can't keep up yeah. with everything yeah, you know I, I mean it's weird though because it's like space and three is like totally my jam but it just something didn't connect with me i guess at the time but like you know it's cool that like i got to listen to this and kind of really experience it now i feel like I'm, i was gonna ask you matt like what are they like live because is it, is it like similar to the album like listening to it or is it more like transcendent well, well, um, Jason himself usually is just sitting there with the music book and a guitar, and it's very much like he's a little sedate, but you know his voice sounds great. But between the band and, and you know, sometimes with the additional uh, players, it's just it's very moving. And on this last tour, there were all these visuals as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's really an experience. I don't know how else to kind of phrase it. It's moving. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of work, and it's very expensive to take all you know all these people on tour, but. You know, there's this is a I mean, this is a little bit of a left turn, but like this is something that I go back and forth in my own 
career and brain a lot. You know, there's there's something that I love about playing solo. There's something that I love about just playing with a small band where you're just like kicking out the rock songs. I've rarely been as rarely have I been as satisfied on stage as I have been with my recent iteration of the pharmacist which is like a six piece Mm -hmm. band with two really great singers who can realize the harmonies and a sax player and you know another guitar player so james our longtime guitar player is freed up to do more organ and things it's just like fleshing out the sound in a way that still has like the the impact of, of a live band but does deliver all the orchestration and um you know different layers that uh like a spiritualized album and show has is is um it's its own thing and it's very very satisfying i mean i bring that Mm -hmm. up by way of saying that like i think that the one time i saw them i think they they certainly achieved that live as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i actually i can see like um with some of the songs on hangman like where it's a little bit more tender-hearted kind of moments like kind of some influence you know it's just Mm. I feel like I can see where you fall in love with like this album (laughs) and then like how yeah well it's like I you know I like to I mean I do like to be energetic and everything but I also really like to just sing and I like to sing well like I like to hear the good like a good melody that I'm singing yeah and I find that you know sometimes or I I should say I have had to learn that sometimes one must learn to delegate, you know, some of what one would otherwise be doing oneself in order to be able to better do the other things that one wants to do Mm -hmm. oneself, you know. Mm -hmm. Totally. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you had a skip, Matt, but. I think actually, yeah, I mean, this is a very difficult one for me, but I think if I were to, f- to pick, I maybe would choose the individual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the right. That's the just the, the big like noise jam on that record, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, which I love, but I mean, maybe I don't want to hear every sure. single time I listen yeah. to this album. I mean, this know? is the tough thing about this um, but, question. Uh, you know, you 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 got to pick. If you have to pick something, it right. doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean it's going to be a song you don't like. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You know, a lot of times on this podcast, I'll usually pick this, the, you know, on, particularly on an album like this, where there's one song that's like 17 minutes long. Right. I'll just go for that one usually because I'm like, I don't have the patience, but I love Cop Shoot Cop so Fantastic. much that I can't pick Cop Shoot Cop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also pick the individual pretty much for the same reasons, although like I, I, I'm kind of curious like what that would be experienced like live because I do like noise in like a live setting uh, not necessarily like when I'm sitting around like uh, on the stereo on headphones or something I feel like it could be interesting live but for me yeah it was I don't know for whatever reason you know it didn't hit me right <laughs> but mm-hmm. um but because there but there are moments on this album where the noise like really works yeah. like i thought it really worked well in all of my thoughts mm-hmm. I, it felt oh, like yeah, yeah. a little bit more like intrinsic mm. into it mm-hmm. and added for like a very particular kind of contrast to like the soft parts and then like really kind of amp up and like add some emotion to it and so i felt like it worked there so i don't know i can't always say that i don't like noise like on an album like listening to well, it's it, definitely but. you know 
you mentioned the album being a journey before and it's definitely an album track like it's not a single you know <laughs> it's like yeah, 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 if you're exactly. in for listening to the whole album from start to finish you know and going on the journey it's part of the journey but yeah <laughs> other exactly. than that I, I totally get excising it from the <laughs> from the mixtape just quickly one track we didn't discuss that i have that i love but initially when i listened to this album i didn't love as much is i think i'm oh, yeah. in love yeah, yeah oh god it's such a great track and another one that kind of builds into the point yeah. where you're just like it's great that that one's towards the top of the album and that, that's a stunner i i'm guilty of doing this myself sometimes but i you know when i when there's a riff or a progression or something that i really get into i i get into repetition you know like i'm not into i don't I'm not a really a jam band fan, but I like yeah. jamming on. Re- all right, that makes three of us. <laughs> but I like jamming on repetition. You know, like I like looping things. You know, I like the the. I like what can happen with that. You know, taking the energy up and down on a, on essentially like a mm. loop. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned loop because I feel like there is a lot of that going on, whether yeah. it's the lyric or whether it's the mm-hmm. the guitar lick or whatever. Yeah. On this record. Yeah. So- it's a lot of like traveling up and down and looping and rounding on this album that feels very like poetic in a lot of ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I know like he, uh, you know, like Jay Spaceman like likes to deny that <laughs> he wrote a lot of these after the whole like you know breakup of his relationship or whatever, but I f- it feels like like that it has like that heartbreak to it and that emotional like crazy journey so who knows well the man is certainly he's lived a life you know yeah he's, uh, he has a lot of life <laughs> yeah. to draw yeah on, whether it's <laughs> yeah. exactly i just thought like maybe maybe he felt really good yeah when he uh beat the verve <laughs> for album of the year for what for mercury prize well, oh, enemies album of oh, the year oh uh, enemy that, okay. would that have been I urban hymns yeah he, i mean I, yeah, you know what year. i'm an urban hymns fan too i like that <laughs> i love urban hymns yeah. yeah but i think i would pick this but i love urban hymns <laughs> ted thank you so much for joining You're us welcome. this was thank really fun and we will catch you next time on another episode of mixtape memories Bye.